Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All right, so we're in, uh, we're in the Gospel of John here, and we're starting a new chapter today. This is John chapter 14. Uh, things are getting pretty, pretty intense right now. And in the passage that we're, we're going to read about today, Jesus understands that his disciples' world, their, their present reality, is changing quickly. This little band of brothers, these now 11 men who are with Jesus, uh, their world has been rocked several times very hard in the course of just this final meal that they're sharing together. In John 13, we read that Judas has left to betray Jesus into the hands of the chief priests. Jesus has said that he's leaving and the disciples can't come where he is going. And Jesus has told Peter that he would deny even knowing Jesus three times before the rooster would crow the next morning. Now, based on what we're going to read today in John 14, it would seem that the disciples are most shaken by the fact that Jesus is leaving and they can't come with him. The life that they have enjoyed with Jesus these past three years is going under a dramatic shift. You know, uncertainty is something that the disciples are facing right now in their lives. And I mean, we've talked about it, and I don't want to belabor the point, but here in our community, there's lots of people who are dealing with uncertainty this week too. The pain and the loss that the Bracken and Dulmage families are enduring after this tragic shooting this week is unimaginable. I, I literally cannot think about what my heart would be going through if I was in their situation their families, along with every person in, in the two communities, Kandu and Leeds, are asking questions. Why? How could this happen? What drives someone to do something so heinous? Moving forward for those closest to this awful event is going to be difficult, to say the least. Man, we all face uncertainty. We all have questions that life throws at us that are hard to answer. If you have struggled to know God's will in a certain situation, or if you can't make sense of how an event in your life is unfolding, if you find yourself asking, God, what now? I believe that the passage that we're going to look at today is for you. I believe that in our passage today, Jesus will point us towards hope and stability and a bright future in the midst of difficulty. So as we study today, I just want to encourage you to take this teaching from Jesus and allow it to meet you in whatever need you have for yourself right now in your life. So before we dive into John 14, let's pray. Lord God, I, I pray that this message is not going to be something that is just a historical fact, but that Jesus, you're going to invite us in to experience you today, that we're going to come with all of our baggage and our hardships and our questions our worries, our fears, our uncertainties. We're going to come with all those things. We're going to set them down, Lord Jesus, and we're going to allow you to handle them because we can't. Father God, would you please minister to your people today? We ask these things in your name. Amen. So knowing the uncertainty and the concerns of his beloved disciples, Jesus begins in John 14 to encourage them. Verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. So Jesus gives us two pieces of wisdom here. When trouble or grief or difficulties come, 
Our temptation is to sometimes make the trouble or the grief the focal point of everything that's going on in our lives. But Jesus tells us, don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't dwell or fixate or obsess on the problem. Keep looking to the Father and to me. Trust in us. Only by trust and sustained faith can you make it through what you're facing right now. You know, we might read this and think to ourselves, Jesus, come on. This is easy for you to say. I mean, you're the son of God. You know how everything's going to turn out. It's easy for you to say that we should just trust you. You're all knowing. We're just people. But isn't that the point? We're just people. So why would we trust in ourselves, in our wisdom, in our understanding, when God's will and understanding are perfect? Jesus is our all-knowing and supernatural God. Of course we should trust in him. Because he understands every situation that we face better than we ever can. In Isaiah 55 verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. We know from this verse that God operates on a different level of understanding and wisdom than we do. His understanding and wisdom are much greater than ours. Infinitely greater, as a matter of fact. It's that very fact that makes God trustworthy. He knows what we don't. He sees what we can't see. And he is operating with perfect knowledge. And the best that we can do is operate in limited knowledge. So also Jesus, he understood what it felt like to be troubled. That's why he could say to us, hey guys, don't let your hearts be troubled or overwhelmed. Because he understood what trouble was, he can identify and sympathize with us. Knowing that Jesus didn't coast through this life on earth, but he experienced trouble just like we do, it also makes him trustworthy. You know when someone says, hey, they're there, it's okay, I understand, and they haven't been through what you've gone through, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's like, hey, I appreciate it, but you have no idea what I'm going through. But Jesus does. He understands exactly what we're going through. In John 11, it actually says in that chapter, Jesus is troubled. Because of the grief of the people mourning the death of his good friend Lazarus. In John 12, Jesus is troubled as he talks openly about his own death coming up. In John 13, last chapter, Jesus is troubled when he brings up the fact that one of his own disciples will betray him. So yeah, Jesus knew what it felt like to be troubled. His life was full of moments like this. How did he get through it? He trusted in the Father, just like he's encouraging us to do. He stayed the course with the confidence that God's plan for his life was good. He trusted that God knew what was right and Jesus submitted to God the Father. And now Jesus is telling his disciples and us to do what he did. Don't let trouble overwhelm you. Trust in the Father and trust in me. We know what you're facing and we care about your circumstances. Jesus continues in verse 2 saying, There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? This encouragement from Jesus reveals what what the disciples were the most troubled by. They thought that since Jesus was leaving, perhaps their hope for eternal life and eternal kingdom was leaving with him. But Jesus reassures them that there is a place for them with the father. There's enough room in heaven for everyone who believes in Jesus. This truth is for you and it's for me to be confident in it as we live here on earth. 
No matter what terror or calamity or challenge comes our way, this fact remains. Jesus loves you. And he is preparing a place for you as you put your trust in him. No wonder Jesus tells his disciples to trust in God and in himself. Faithful trust in God results in the ultimate gift of grace from God. Eternal life that is lived with God the Father. Jesus also says to his disciples in verse 3, When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. So what we can learn here is that Jesus is preparing a place for us with him in heaven, but there's a timeline for all of this. Jesus said, when everything is ready, I will come and get you. So exactly when Jesus will return to earth to come and get us, that's the question. We don't know that one, but we can trust that if he's gone to prepare something for us, why would he not come back to take us to what he's preparing us for? Do you you see what I'm saying here, friends? Like, this is so wonderful that Jesus would give us this kind of assurance. The result of his coming is someday for us to be fully confident about. Jesus will take us to be with him forever. No wonder Jesus began this encouragement today for his disciples by saying, trust in God and trust in me. Again, here's why we can trust God. He said those things because as we maintain our trust in Jesus... Jesus' desire for his followers to always be with him, that desire will be fulfilled. Isn't it cool? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it awe-inspiring that at the end of the day, what Jesus wants to see happen the most is what Jesus is causing to happen for for our benefit. You know, if we step back for a moment here and think about what Jesus is doing for his disciples, he is refocusing them onto the greatest good that they have ever known, the promise of eternal life with Jesus. When the uncertainty of the disciples leads them to despair, Jesus reminds them that eternal life is yours. It's, it's for you to take comfort in. Jesus is faithful and true. Jesus will absolutely come back and make good on his promise. And this same promise that Jesus has made to you is the surest thing that you will ever know. Because it is 100% guaranteed And Jesus is reminding us of that today. We don't have to let trouble ruin us or bring us to despair. The promises of Jesus are a strong rock for us to stand on. Think about it like this. Have you ever heard of these lotteries where someone can win $1,000 a week for the rest of their life? Has anyone ever heard of those? Now, hands up if you ever bought a ticket. No, I'm just kidding. No, you don't have to say that. Can you imagine? Like, put yourself in that person's shoes. Can you imagine what it would be like to get $1,000 a week. Imagine getting it for the very first time. You've won, and now they say, okay, your payments are going to start on this date. And all of a sudden, this $1,000 shows up. It's like, oh my goodness, it's happening, it's real, like it's here, look at this, with $1,000. Like, you'd be amazed, right? It'd be, it'd be incredible. Maybe after receiving $1,000 a week for a few months, you'd start to kind of get used to this way of life. And maybe it wouldn't be like, hey, 1000 bucks is here again. Cool. Ah, I'll deposit it tomorrow. No rush. Maybe after five or six or seven years, you wouldn't even think twice about $1,000 showing up that week or not. But what if someone who had been receiving $1,000 a week for 10 years, what if they got a bill in the mail one day for 300 bucks and they totally lost their mind? Say, oh my goodness, $300, how can we pay this? Uh, you've been receiving $1,000 a week for 10 years. 
$300 is no problem, like nothing at all, right? Wouldn't it be silly if they were panicking? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it kind of seem strange that the reality, reality that they had been living in for 10 years was totally lost on them when this insignificant $300 bill showed up? There'd be more than enough to pay this bill. Don't they have confidence in their financial situation at this point? Now, I'm not suggesting that any of us go out and buy a ticket and say, Oh yeah, Pastor Jeff said that we should play the lottery. No! Pastor Jeff says, do not play the lottery. Okay? Everyone, you can play this back later if you weren't sure. But let me ask you this question. Has, has Jesus been trustworthy for you so far today? I see a couple of gentle whispers. Okay, good. How about in the last week? Can you see that Jesus has been trustworthy in your life? Everyone together. Okay. How about in this last year? Would you see evidence that Jesus has been trustworthy? How about in the last 10, 20, or 30 years? I don't know how old you are. Has Jesus been trustworthy? Okay. So then the point is this. If Jesus has been trustworthy all the way to this point, why would we start panicking now when any sort of trouble or turmoil enters our life? He's going to continue to be faithful and trustworthy because he's proven to us that's who he is. What a marvelous thing to rest on, right? Although our circumstances change, evil tries to advance against us, trouble builds up against us in our lives, we can confidently remember what Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so how long is forever? It's a long time, yeah. It's a long time, Holly. And we're going to get to experience every ounce of forever because our faith and our trust and our confidence is in the one who will never let us down. We can still trust Jesus, even when that means that we might have to wait. So after telling his disciples that he will come back to take them to be with him, Jesus adds in verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. I love what this says. I love what Jesus is saying here. You know, during baseball season, when I'm helping coach the high school team or the Legion team, I'm the guy who probably throws the most batting practice, and my elbow can attest to that. But from time to time, when we're, when we're throwing BP, and that's what we call it, batting practice equals BP. When a player's in the batting cage and I'm throwing batting practice to them, sometimes a guy will step in there, He'll take three or four swings, and he doesn't even touch the ball. Maybe he'll nick it. Maybe he'll foul something off. But occasionally, that's what happens. It's at that point that we usually stop, and I'll say to them something like, Hey, where are you missing the baseball? And the answer always is, I'm under it. Okay. So then I'll ask, So what do you need to do to correct that? And he'll say, a few things that we've, we've said before. He'll, he'll list off three or four tips to help a player level out their swing so that they're not under the baseball anymore. So I've asked the question not because I don't know the answer, what do you need to do to stop missing the baseball? I ask because they know, and they just need to go back and think about what they already know. Our message to them as players from us coaches, it's been consistent. So consistent that no player could ever say, you've never told me how to swing a baseball bat correctly. The players know what we've said. And it's in moments like this where they have trouble 
that they need to be reminded about what the message has always been. And it seems to me to be what Jesus is doing here to his disciples. You know the way to where I'm going. You know, when I'm working on a message from time to time, there's just certain things that happen where the Holy Spirit reaches in and I feel like he does more for me than I could ever do for our congregation. And this, this week is on, on Wednesday morning when I was reading this, this point. I, I sometimes will read things out loud just to see how it sounds, right? And I read a couple of lines and then I came to this, this verse here in 4 that says, You know the way to the place where I am going. The Holy Spirit just captured me in that moment. My voice started to shake. My lips started to quiver. I couldn't say anything after reading this verse. And the Holy Spirit just revealed to me, Jeff, you do know the way to where Jesus is going. And I fought back the tears and I thought about a lifetime of Jesus being so faithful to lead me towards eternity day by day, moment by moment, through church services, through relationships, through people who he put in my life to love me and care about me. And it was at this moment, now at 40 years old, that the Holy Spirit says, Jeff, you know the way. I love that. I love that I'm not there yet. I'm not in heaven. I'm not, I haven't realized what the fullest experience of eternal life is, but I have no doubt that I will. Because Jesus is leading me. And he's reminding me time and time again that my eyes need to stay on him. I think in verse 4, Jesus is just reminding the disciples of what he's been saying all along. And they've even believed. Jesus is the way to the Father. Believe in him and follow him. After Jesus says, you know the way to where I am going, one of the disciples responds for the whole group in verse 5. No, we don't know, Lord. Thomas said, we have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Maybe it was panic. Maybe it was a lack of understanding. Either way, perhaps overwhelmed by everything, Thomas gives this answer of non-confidence. Verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is so good, friends. How many times when we're troubled or overwhelmed, do we panic and worry and, and it starts to take hold of us rather than the truth and the hope that we have in Jesus. We feel like we can so quickly shut down and forget the important truth that God has given us to live by and that we have lived by. But Jesus reminds us here that the answer to life's biggest questions and challenges and troubles is always in Him. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus reveals to us the truth about ourselves, our world, and our need for Him. Jesus is the only one who can give real and lasting life. All we need is Jesus. So when we blank on what to do or how to respond to any sort of trouble that we experience in our lives, we need to remember to connect back to Jesus. Everything we need is found in Him. So adding to this, in verse 7, Jesus says, If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, this is the beginning of a bit of a, a theme change in this passage. 
Jesus has been encouraging and reminding his disciples that even in their trouble and uncertainty, trusting in him is the right response. But now Jesus begins to speak once again about his oneness with God the Father. It's like Jesus is saying, guys, you know me. Because I am the way to the Father and you know me, you know the Father too. It's, it's amazing how he's just patient and he's bringing them back time and time again. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. You know, I kind of think that what Philip does here is what people often do when they're, when they're desperate and they're searching for answers or trying to make sense of things. It's like he's saying, God, if you'll just fill in the blank... I promise I'll never ask you for anything again. Have you ever heard people say that or pray that kind of prayer? Maybe you have too at one point, right? It's kind of like Philip's bargaining with Jesus. But this whole section started with Jesus urging the disciples to trust him and him and his father. Jesus is asking for faith and Philip responds by asking for proof. Kind of interesting, right? So in Philip's mind, seeing is believing. But Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Man, it'd be nice to see God's entire plan for our lives before we begin to live for him. But if we saw the entire plan, every moment, every decision that God laid out for you, then what we would end up doing is we would trust in our understanding of that plan rather than trusting God's perfect provision of that plan. So often in life as Christians, God reveals to us what just the next step is. Sometimes the next baby step. He doesn't overwhelm us with all the details because he knows that trusting in him is more important. So he just reveals a little bit at a time. I remember when Karen and I were facing a decision and we had lots of questions that were coming our way. And Karen prayed and she saw a picture as she was praying. And God showed her a path that was paving stones, little flat circular rocks. And and the light that shone in front of her only lit up the next paving stone. And then she stepped onto it as she did. And she stood there. Then the light shone on the next one. I think that's how God works for us. He doesn't always give us the entire picture. But he always asks us to trust in him and to keep our faith in him. As we take that single step, trusting Jesus to lead us in the right direction, that's when our faith moves from just an idea to an actual lifestyle that is so good. Verse 9, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am, the, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work that you have seen me do. So Jesus' response here is pointing Philip back to everything he has experienced with Jesus as Philip has followed him. Jesus is telling Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me speak, you've heard the Father speak. Believe me, we are one. But if that's too much, if that's just a little bit too difficult, at least believe that we are one because of all the works that you've seen me do, all the miracles, all the healings, all the amazing signs and wonders. You know, back in in John chapter 1, 
John, the gospel writer, was introducing Jesus to us. One of his descriptions was from verse 18. It said, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So here Jesus is reminding Philip and us that we, that he can be trusted because Jesus' whole life, everything about him, everything he does points to the father. And then this section ends with Jesus saying in verse 12 to 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So to further encourage his disciples in this moment, Jesus tells them the result of what trusting or believing in him will bring about. People who believe in Jesus, making him the Lord of their lives, will do the same kind of spirit-empowered things, supernatural things that Jesus has been doing, but we're going to do them in a far more reaching way. So some people think that this verse, when it says greater works, it's saying that we will do more powerful things than Jesus did. Think about this. Isn't raising someone from the dead the most powerful thing that someone could ever do? And Jesus did that several times, didn't he? The answer is yes. So I don't know of anyone in all of human history who has done something more powerful than raise someone from the dead. I'm just saying, okay? So I don't think what Jesus is saying is that we're going to do more powerful things in him. But when he says greater, it's that the scope or the magnitude, or the coverage is going to be greater because Jesus stayed in Israel. And now, when when tribulation comes on the church and they're scattered across the world, the whole message and the teaching and the miracles of Jesus Christ spread with God's people. What an amazing thing, right? Jesus assures them that they can ask for anything in His name and it will happen for God's glory. So the key to understanding this dramatic offer is knowing what Jesus means when he says, in my name. Basically, Jesus is saying, you can ask for anything that is in agreement with my character or my will, and I will do it. I will absolutely do it for you because it's in agreement with me. So, of course, Jesus would do that sort of thing because it's already what he wants to do. If we're operating in God's will, it means that we're not doing what we want, but we're doing what God already wants. If we're acting in God's character, it means we're representing Him. That's good stuff for us to do. So let's put our heads together here for a moment. In the world that we're living in right now, what are some things that we can ask Jesus for that would agree with Jesus' character and will? I'd love to hear your answers, your thoughts on this. What's something that we can ask for that we know would be in agreement with what Jesus already wants? Sure. Yeah, for for children who we raised to know Jesus and left the faith, for them to come back. That's something we can absolutely ask for. Kev. Bingo, absolutely. You guys are so polite. You don't have to put up your hands. Just shout them out. Are there more things? There are? Oh, okay. Then I'll give you some more time. Sorry, say that again, Melissa. 
Yeah, share who he is with other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you guys are on the same wavelength there. That's good. What else? Yeah. God, God will totally give us help to forgive someone because he commands us to forgive. Grace. Grace. Yeah. How about wisdom to know how to raise our kids? Right? How about wisdom to know how to spend money? Right? Maybe like growing, if I pray, God, would you please help me to be more generous? No, Jeff. No. No, of course God's going to say yes. And he's going to probably give me tons of chances to do it, right? So there's a lot of things that we can ask God for with confidence, knowing he's already interested in seeing us do those kinds of things. For me, verse 14 is like Jesus assuring us about what he just said. Yes, I mean it. Ask me for anything that is, that is in agreement with my will for people and is consistent with my character, and I will do it. I will do that thing for you. How can we quickly and clearly know Jesus' will and character so we know what to ask for when we pray? By reading the Bible, which reveals everything about Jesus to us. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus implored us to trust him. Don't you find it's easy to trust someone when you know what they're like? Would you trust a perfect stranger? If you had to run out to the grocery store and your your spouse is at work and your kids are in the house and someone was walking by, hey, can you watch my kids for a minute? No, I don't need to know your name. It's okay. I'll be back in 15 minutes. No, like we know people and then we trust them. We need to know Jesus and then we're going to be more prone to trust him for sure. Don't you find... I find it interesting that Jesus, even in these last hours, he's just helping the disciples to know him and to be confident in who he is rather than in their own understanding. If Jesus had to do that with his disciples right to the end, clearly that's something he's continuing to work on in us as well. So here's, here's kind of the conclusion. We'll, we'll wrap this up here. When some sort of trouble enters our lives, what's our reaction? Do we focus on the trouble? Does that dictate how we live our lives? Do we let that trouble take the wind out of our sails and throw us down into a dismal place where our trust in Jesus is gone and we're just self-pitying, where all is lost, woe is me? Or when trouble comes at us, do we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith? Jesus is walking with every single one of you, each and every step of the way, through your darkest valleys, through your deepest questions. And he's walking with you when you feel like you're at your weakest point. Just like Jesus worked with the disciples and helped them as they struggled to grapple with uncertainty, Jesus wants to work with you and help you so that your trust will remain in him. Isaiah 26, verse 3 to 4, is just beautiful. It says this, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Peace comes not from the absence of turmoil or grief in our lives, but from the presence of Jesus. 
that fills us when we trust him and remember that all that he has done for us and all that he has promised to us. Just like Jesus reminded his disciples in this passage today, he's reminding you and me, trust is paramount.